Well, we want to take this opportunity to welcome everybody back tonight, and uh, it is good to see each of you, and uh, we're glad that you're here, and uh, hopefully you got a copy of the handouts for tonight, and uh, so you'll have those as we go through those. I do not know how long my voice will last tonight, so I'm going to try to use it as least as possible. Remember that, and for all those folks watching online, y'all are exempt from this, but remember that, uh, remember that exam I told y'all y'all were going to have to take? The open book one? No. <laughs> Already had one, thank you. All right, uh, let's do this. Let's uh, share a couple of prayer requests, and then we'll get started uh, tonight. And uh, just remember those that are on our prayer list, uh, those that uh, are recovering from procedures, continue to pray for David and Marla Ellenberg and uh, just keep them lifted up in your prayers and uh, also the others that we have that are recovering from different procedures and uh, just are beginning to make their way back uh, to some sense of normalcy in their own lives some who've had shoulder surgeries and those type of things they're starting to flex their wings again okay and uh, so we praise the Lord for that and uh, for Chris Nielsen and just the others and uh, so let's just continue to pray for each of them and uh, as we look forward to what we're going to get into uh, tonight all right so let's go to the Lord in prayer and then uh, we'll get started tonight all right father we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be back here in this place tonight and Father, we thank you for the time together this morning, and Father, just for your presence with us. And so, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would go before us tonight, prepare the way for us. Uh, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would teach us uh, from your word tonight, illuminate our hearts and minds to the truths that you'd have us to see. Uh, Father, that we can take them and apply them in our lives each and every day as we live out our lives each day to be Uh, the disciples that you would have us to be in following you. Father, we lift up all the requests to you uh, tonight, and Father, we just lay them at your feet and pray your perfect will be done in each one of them. May your presence be felt in a very special way uh, during these difficult times and days. And so, Father, once again, we love you. We thank you for the privilege and the opportunity we have to be uh, here in this place. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, well, you've got a chart in your hands uh, tonight, and it's this one, and I put it up here, um, and I knew it would be kind of difficult for you to be able to see it up on the screen up here, but for those who are watching online, uh, it may be difficult as well, so those who are watching online, if you would like to have a copy of it, uh, we'll be more than happy uh, to get a copy of it for you. Uh, they may be able to put it full screen for you uh, on on the live stream, and uh, but I want you to take it out because I want to kind of talk about it for just a few moments. What this is is the timeline of Ezra, of Nehemiah, and of Esther. You know, when we talk about the seventy weeks of Daniel, uh, when you go back and you look at the seventy weeks of Daniel, um, as we think about the Babylonian um, captivity of Judah. Uh, one of the things I think that we lose track of sometimes is Ezra um, and Zerubbabel. When you read the book of Ezra, you find a character in there by the name of Zerubbabel. 
And Ezra and Zerubbabel came back, of course, first uh, out of Babylon. They came back to Jerusalem, back to Judah, uh, to begin to rebuild the temple to some degree. And I will tell you, it was, it was not an easy process. It was not an easy task for them to do that. Uh, matter of fact, they spent uh, a considerable amount of time in the effort and the work to do so. And then, of course, you come across to Nehemiah. Uh, if you remember uh, from one of the earlier charts that we had looked at, and I'll go back to one of those in just a moment, um, when you go back and look at one of the other charts that we have, uh, if you look at this chart, this timeline that you have uh, in, in front of you, if you'll go to the far right-hand side of it, uh, basically up to this area right here where it says Nehemiah to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls 445 BC that kicks off the 70 weeks of Daniel uh, that we have been looking at that we've been studying at so or we have been studying about so when you consider Ezra you see where Ezra sits on this timeline you see the fall of Jerusalem in 585 BC uh, you make your way through the captivity we know for uh, Judah into Babylon was prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah that it would entail 70 years actually 70 years all right and they would come out of that captivity which would kick off what would kick off the 70 weeks of Daniel would be of course the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and that occurred in 445 BC under the decree of of course uh, the king at that time all right so when you come to the end of this chart and you get down to uh, Nehemiah, uh, Artaxerxes, who was the king, uh, would have been the one who would have issued that decree for Nehemiah to go back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, one of the things that was said, Ezra and Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple, uh, they thought it was not fit, of course, for the temple to be kind of standing out there all by itself that needed the wall back around it. And so the decree came to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, most folks often wonder where in the world did Esther fit in all of this? Have you, any of you ever wondered about the book of Esther, where Esther fit uh, in the timeline? Uh, what was the significance of Esther uh, during this time? Well, that is one of the things we're going to go through tonight and we're going to talk about and we're going to look at. Now, as you also look at this chart, one of the other things that you will see towards the right-hand side of the chart uh, you will see Ezra where it says there's a box there it says Ezra led the second group to Jerusalem for religious reforms and there was actually two uh, two groups okay um, more than just one if you look back towards the left a little bit you will see where Zerubbabel led 50,000 to Jerusalem the altar was rebuilt and the temple foundation was laid all under the decree of Cyrus okay one of the other things you'll find about this chart when you look at the bottom line, you will see the different prophets, <coughs> Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. All right, you see all of those. And so oftentimes when people read the Old Testament, one of the difficulties that they have is having any idea of where the prophets, where they, where they, where they fit into the picture, okay? Uh, especially when you go through and you read all of their writings. So Hopefully that will be helpful uh, to you tonight. But let's go to the set of notes, and uh, we're going to walk through 
kind of the set of notes and take a look at this. Um, I don't know how many of you understand or realize this, but the book of Esther is probably one of the most contested books in the scripture, uh, in the word of God, about it being part of the canon. And there are several reasons. There's about five major reasons why Esther is so contested uh, for being in the canon. One of those main issues is uh, God is not mentioned in the book of Esther uh, at all. One of the other things, one of the other difficulties is they have not come across any um, <clears throat> copies of manuscripts, fragments, or anything in the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, pertaining to Esther. Uh, and that's just a couple of probably the two major ones uh, that is often used and cited as to why uh, the book of Esther um, they do not feel like should even be in the canon uh, of Scripture that we have. And when we say the canon of Scripture, we're talking about the Bible as you know it now from Genesis to the book of the Revelation, all right, the 66 books that we have. Probably the most debated issue concerning the book of Esther is whether or not the book relates actual historical events. Uh, that is one of the other issues. They say that the actual events of the book of Esther could not have possibly happened Matter of fact, there is an attempt to try to associate Esther and Mordecai uh, with some other um, Babylonian gods um, that are associated with Babylon during that time. Uh, and so therefore, or with the Persians, I should say, uh, because at the time of Esther, uh, we also see that the, the Medes and the Persians now have taken over and uh, they are now the dominating force uh, in the world as they knew it at that moment in time because remember Daniel's image you move from the head which was Babylon then you move down to the shoulders and the arms which is the Medes and the Persians okay to the breast all right and uh, of course a divided kingdom between the Medes and the Persians so at the time of Esther uh, we have the Persians who have now come uh, on the scene and who is really the ruling, uh, the ruling parties at this time, all right? So um, they feel like that probably more than likely, uh, there is no way that the book of Esther could have possibly been part of the canon, nor could it have ever contained any of the actual historical events. Well, let me share something with you. The book of Esther belongs in the canon, okay? Uh, God's name is all over it. You may not see it specifically spelled out in the book, but God is all over it, and it serves as a great picture for us. And oh, by the way, uh, just in case you don't know this, there has been archaeological evidence to the authenticity of those events and characters contained in the book of Esther. So isn't that amazing? All right? So, just when the critics think that it is all over, haha, don't count it out yet. All right. Number two, many critics also or almost completely reject any historical basis for the, er, um, for the Esther narrative. And, matter of fact, that is still held today by many. Uh, there are still many uh, who do not want to give any credibility to the book of Esther at all. Now, <clears throat> I know some people struggle with this also when you read in your Bible, depending on the translation that you have, 
Translations sometimes can make things a little difficult. Well, I'm going to try to help you. Take your Bibles and turn to Esther chapter number 1. And uh, we'll take a look at this a little bit in more detail. All right? Let's go to Esther chapter number 1. So in Esther chapter number one, depending on the translation that you have, <clears throat> it may read, now it took place in the days of Ahasuerus or Xerxes, and that is spelled X-E-R-S-E-S, right? Um, X-E-R-X-E-S, right? Xerxes. Um, depending on the translation that you have, and you're probably wondering, okay, what's the difference? Is Ahasuerus and Xerxes two different people, or are they the same? Well, I put that in your notes for you. Depending on the translation of Scripture that you have, um, depending on how the translators brought over the translation, if you have a New American Standard, they brought it over literally. So they brought the Hebrew rendering over, which is Ahasuerus. Xerxes is the Greek rendering of Ahasuerus. Okay? That's why you see the difference. Now, we also do know this, that Ahasuerus' father was Darius I, and his grandfather was Cyrus the Great. Now, I know, I, I know, I know, I know, I get it. Please, I do. Okay? How many of y'all, when you read and study the Old Testament, and you come across genealogies, you bypass them? Are you getting better? Okay. Good. I know they're tough. I know they can be difficult, okay, when you go through them, but they're very, but they're very important. Let's go back to Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4, look at verse number 6. Ezra chapter 4. And let's look at, um, i tell you what, let's do this. Let's start in, um, let's start in verse number 3, all right? <clears throat> Ezra chapter 4, verse 3, but Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the head, <coughs> heads of fathers, households of Israel said to them, you have nothing in common with us in building a house to our God, but we ourselves will together build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. And the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building <clears throat> and hired counselors against them to frustrate their counsel all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So you see Di uh, Cyrus and you see Darius, both of them listed here. Verse 6, Now in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So they're all related, Darius, Cyrus, and Ahasuerus. Now let's go to Daniel chapter 9 and look at verse number 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. Daniel chapter 9 and let's look at verse number 1. <laughs> fold out tables 
All right. All right, so in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. So we see him... We see them related in the scripture. There are many other places uh, in the prophets that we see them connected. This is probably two of the primary areas that we see them all related to each other. Okay, And the importance here is the relationship between Ahasuerus, <coughs> um, Darius, and Cyrus the Great. Okay, Each of those. Now, if you look at your chart that I gave you tonight and then look at number four um, in your notes Aharius, Ahasuerus <coughs> ruled over the Persian Empire from 486 to 465 BC so when you look at your chart you can find 485 and move across over to um, 465 BC okay uh, which would be, uh, when you look towards the right-hand side of the chart, uh, you can see on that timeline, all right? And notice what it says on there. All right. <clears throat> so let's go back to the book of Esther. And uh, let's just look at a few things in the book of Esther. <clears throat> so what's the purpose of the book of Esther? I mean, why is it placed there? Why is Esther here? Um, what is the significance of the book of Esther? Uh, why is it so important? Okay. And ever, you know, whenever we mention Esther, um, we pretty much, the first thing that comes to most folks' mind is, of course, Haman. And, uh, oh, evil Haman. All right. And then, of course, we'll tend to think of Mordecai. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered where Esther and Haman and Mordecai and all of them kind of fit in the equation? When you look at the chronology of events in the scripture. Uh, number five in your, in your notes, the book of Esther was actually written to encourage the returned Jewish exiles by reminding them of the faithfulness of God who would keep his promises to the nation. All throughout the book of Esther. Uh, when you go through and you read and study the book of Esther, you'll see that. Matter of fact, all throughout the book of Esther, you will see the absolute sovereignty of God and his protection. His protection even for Esther under the hand and the Jews under the hand of, of uh, Esther and uh, Mordecai. We all, we're, we're all familiar with the statement that Mordecai made to Esther. You know, that perhaps, okay, this day was set aside for you. That this, this was in fact what you were placed here for. And, um, and so we're all familiar with that portion of the book of Esther. Now, number six in your notes, the book of Esther is the account of a woman and her role in the deliverance of the Jews from the murderous plan of Haman in the Persian Empire during the reign of Ahasuerus. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> back in chapter one of the book of Esther, verse number two. You will find another, depending on the translation that you have. And probably if you have a King James, I'm not sure if the new King James does this or not. But in the King James, yours probably says Shushan, the palace. Okay? In the NASB, it says Susa, S-U-S-A. Don't get 
don't get concerned they're the same okay they're the same place <clears throat> there's not any difference there and um, so just depending on the translation that you have um, will depend on how that is actually written so in verse number two in those days as king Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne which at the which was at the citadel in Susa all right Susa was actually one of the two major cities in the ancient nation of Elam. And so when we consider Elam, that is in modern southwest Iran. Uh, that's where it was actually located at. And one of the capitals, it was one of the capitals of the Persian Empire. That's who it was. Okay, So it's actually located in the southwest portion of modern day Iran as we know it now. That's where, that's where they were actually located. Now, the book of Esther is set primarily in the royal court of Ahasuerus uh, in the palace. And we saw that in verse number 2. So he sat on his royal throne. Uh, King Ahasuerus was there. okay, And he was the one who was pretty much over everything that was taking place in the known world at that time. Because the Medes and the Persians were now the ones who were in charge. They were the ones who were in control understanding that what we're tracking through is Daniel's image or Nebuchadnezzar's image that Daniel gave us um, all of the all of the specifics for beginning with the head of gold coming down through the breast of silver down eventually to the belly with the Grecian Empire and eventually to the Roman Empire so we're making our way through here okay as we come through all of those now, number nine in your notes. Some Jews, okay, and some are wondering, well, what was actually taking place here? Well, there were some Jews who were living in this particular region uh, that were there. Thus, you have Esther, you have Mordecai, all right? And you have the other Jews that were there. And uh, so we know that. Let's go to chapter four of Esther and look at verse, and look at verse 16. Chapter 4 and verse 16. As a matter of fact, this is going to be repl Esther's reply back to Mordecai. And we have all of that uh, here recorded for us in chapter number 4. Um, matter of fact, let's, let's do this. Let's go back up to... Um, Let's go back up to verse 10 of chapter 4, all right? And then we'll just make our way down through, all right? So chapter 10, then Esther spoke to, <clears throat> to Hak, to Hatak, and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. Now all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law that he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live and I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days Esther speaking of course I haven't been summoned to come to the king they related Esther's words to Mordecai then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews now, what makes you think you'll get or escape more than the Jews okay verse 14 for if you remain silent at this time relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews 
we've heard this before if it's not from you it'll arise from another place let me tell you what you see in that verse it's the sovereignty of God written all over it okay that's what's written all over that verse and you and your father's house will perish and who knows whether you have not attained royalty and notice the question for such a time is this then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa or Shushan and fast for me do not eat or drink for three days night or day I and my maidens also will fast in the same way and thus I will go into the king which is not according to the law and notice now what Esther says if I perish I perish so Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him number 10 in your notes in the Old Testament Esther resembles the accounts of Ruth and Deborah two women whom God used for his plan As a matter of fact when you go back and you look at Deborah Deborah was one of the judges uh, who ruled or judged during a time in the life of Israel that was very critical and very crucial in the book of Judges and then of course you have Ruth Ruth the Moabitess woman when you go read and study the book of Ruth you will find of course Ruth and uh, Boaz uh, had a child and uh, when you go through and you look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ you will find Ruth the Moabitess listed there the reason being is because Boaz and Ruth had a child by the name of Obed and Obed begat Jesse and Jesse begat David do you see that so genealogies are they important they are because let me tell you what they do they connect the dots for us uh, in, a, in a lot of places in a lot of cases so just as Ruth and Deborah had very important roles and oh by the way there was another one uh, by the name of Rahab uh, the harlot that is also listed in the Old Testament for us that you find in the genealogy of Jesus Christ and so Esther uh, finding her spot uh, among those that were greatly used of course by God now number 11 uh, one purpose of the book seems to be to explain the origin of the feast of Purim uh, what is interesting about this and this is one of the things I think that sometimes and I've heard people uh, or seen folks who go back to the books of the law the first five books and go specifically to the book of Leviticus and they say well apparently there must be a contradiction in the scripture because the feast of Purim is not listed anywhere other than in the book of Esther and you're absolutely correct so what was the feast of Purim well this feast I give it to you in number 12 the feast okay is actually a non-mosaic feast that is a feast that is not mentioned in the Torah or the Pentateuch. It's not mentioned anywhere in those. Okay, So um, what is it? It is the account of how the Jewish people survived an evil plot that would have meant their end that is still celebrated today. Okay, Still celebrated today. And so when you consider the Feast of Purim, uh, it was instituted here in the book of Esther. And it was celebrated, of course, after that so only one conclusion can be reached only one conclusion can be reached when the book is read you ready for it I give it to you in the note God was behind it all every bit all of it okay uh, when we look at it now number 15 Purim uh, is interesting it is the celebratory festival 
commemorating the deliverance of the Jews from certain annihilation at the hand of Haman. And that's what actually the Feast, uh, the feast of Purim is celebrated for, that we were saved from annihilation from the hand of the evil plot of Haman. And so that's why they call it the Feast of Purim. Now, number 16, Mordecai understood the significance of Esther's role in the events at hand, and we looked at that in verse 9 through verse 17. And we went through and looked at each of those. So the book of Esther, and of course we know what happens, and, and, and let me give you one of the other quick things that, <coughs> that most folks say concerning the book of Esther. This is one of the other reasons why they say that there is no historical significance to the book of Esther. Does anyone remember how, how big the gallows was to be for Haman? 50 cubits, which was significantly high. And they say, there's no way. Who would have built a gallows 50 cubits high? How could you have possibly got up there and reached that? Well, there are other cases where gallows were built significantly high. So don't count that one out, right? Number 17. God is not referred to explicitly, but when you go through and you read all of the book of Esther, God is not referred to explicitly, but he is seen through all of the text. And so for the book of Esther, God's providence is the driving force of the narrative. Let's go to chapter 9 of the book of Esther. going fast all right I'm going to try to get through the rest of this all right chapter 9 uh, beginning in verse 20 then Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus both near and far this is where the feast of Purim is instituted verse 21 obliging them to celebrate the 14th day of the month Adar and the 15th day of the same month annually because on those days the Jews rid themselves of their enemies and it was a month which was turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and rejoicing and sending portions of food to one another and gifts to the poor thus the Jews undertook what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them for Haman the son of Amadatha, the Agagite, the adversary of all the Jews, had schemed against the Jews to destroy them and had cast purr. And that is the Feast of Purim and the actual beginning of that word purr, P-U-R, okay, speaks of lots, the casting of lots to disturb them and destroy them. Verse 25, but when it came to the king's attention, commanded by letter that his wicked scheme which he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows therefore and you ought to underline this in verse 26 therefore they called these days Purim after the name of Pur 
and because of the instructions in this letter both what they had seen in this regard and what had happened to them the Jews established and made a custom for themselves and for their descendants and for all of those who allied themselves with them so that they would not fail to celebrate these two days according to their regulation and according to their appointed time annually so these days were to be remembered and celebrated throughout every generation every family every province and every city and these days of Purim were not to fail from among the Jews or their memory fade from their descendants so it's pretty important isn't it it's a reminder it is a reminder of what took place and what happened so what did Mordecai do well in verse 29 then Queen Esther daughter of Abihel with Mordecai the Jew wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim he sent letters to all of the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus namely words of peace and truth to establish these days of Purim at their appointed times just as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had established for them and just as they had established for themselves and for their descendants with instructions for their times of fasting and their lamentations the command of Esther established these customs for Purim and it was written in the book and I love chapter 10 when you come to the close of the book of Esther now King Ahasuerus laid a tribute on the land and on the coastlands of the sea and all the accomplishments of his authority and strength and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia for Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus and great among the Jews and in favor with his many kinsmen one who sought the good of his people and one who spoke for the welfare of his whole nation <clears throat> Mordecai did right he did right by his people he did right by God himself and the things of God so number 18 the wicked Haman is introduced his malicious plan was devised God already had installed the instruments of deliverance he had placed Esther in the royal court and Mordecai in the king's favor so let me tell you what you just saw in the book of Esther is the very providence and sovereignty of a holy God and God's plan to be carried out and executed exactly the way that he had planned so what do we draw from Esther what do we draw from Mordecai I think there's something very specific that we draw from both of them and that's number 19 that I end this with tonight Esther and Mordecai are examples of how to live an obedient life and that's all we're asked to do is just to live an obedient life just to do right and to be what God's called us to be and when we do that we never know we never know how important that may be in the day that we find ourselves today amen so that's where Esther fits okay so now with this chart that I've showed you uh, tonight um, you can take this particular chart you can see where Ezra Nehemiah Esther all fit in you see the prophets that are listed there as well also gives you a timeline with the actual dates how many of y'all have been reading the old testament and you go through and you read all these dates 385 bc 596 bc and 
on and on and on and just don't really have a clue okay and that's okay because it's hard it's difficult uh to do that thank you sir it's difficult um sometimes to see on where all of it fits and especially when you have the divided kingdom of the north and the south because all throughout there things are running kind of simultaneously with each other right and then all the prophets are thrown in there but i tell you what i'm thankful tonight that the word of god uh, stands as sure tonight as it was the day it was written amen and we can trust it and take its absolute truth amen all right i'm about out all right all right i will be at the front okay if you've got any questions or any comments or anything now when you read the book of esther hopefully you'll look at the book of esther a little bit differently uh, especially now where you know it kind of fits uh, in the scheme of things amen all right let's stand and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer hope you have a wonderful evening what's the rest or what's what's left of it okay and uh, what is remaining and we just look forward to all that God has for us as well all right let's bow our heads together uh, tonight as we pray father we thank you for Esther we thank you for Mordecai and father just for Mordecai's stand just to do what was right we thank you for the obedient heart of Esther father who went before the king and father we just thank you for your sovereignty for your providence for your protection father we thank you for your divine will and father may that be our desire every day is for nothing more than your will to be accomplished here as it is in heaven father may we follow you and just be obedient and to do what you've called us to do and to do what's right so father i pray now that you would dismiss us tonight uh, with your love keep us safe as we travel home fathers we look forward uh, to when we will gather back together again and father if not on this side uh, how we'll gather together around your throne on the other and we ask all of this tonight in jesus name and for his sake